this week on the recruitment flex gen z tiktoker whiny or justified banks doing layoffs is it a bad sign puffing up job titles always a bad idea lying on your resume turns out most people do TRF with my dad and Shelly starts after this message from Van Haas. Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different. I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry. Well, hold on to your hat here because that's exactly what Van Hack has done. Shelly picture this, a closed community of pre-verified tech talent ready to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be true? Well, not anymore. VanHack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process. And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams listen up. Van Hacks introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and Van Hack handles all the nitty gritty details of immigration and relocation. So, can you imagine, Serge, the applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table? Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique. Revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, Van Hack is leading the charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, how many trick-or-treaters did you get yesterday? It was a record. Record-breaking for us since we've been here. We got about 25 kids. You got 25 kids? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they came in groups, big groups. Okay. So we only got like 10, which is usually what we get, which I am okay because I was actually seeing some videos today of different neighborhoods in Calgary. And there was one in Auburn Bay, which is here in the South. And you should have seen it. It was mayhem in the streets. Like I'm talking thousands of kids everywhere. Really? So I, I went out with the twins and we went around the neighborhood. Then we dropped off her oldest to her friend's house who went and did a way busier neighborhood. And I picked her up and it was scary. I had to drive very slow in the neighborhoods yeah. because there were so many kids around and they're like running across the street, even busy streets. I'm like, oh my God, uh, it's one of my things I'm scared of is a kid getting hit on Halloween. It would just be a disaster, right? Yeah, you're right. They're so excited and they really don't see the fact that they're running across a busy road. I had that as well. I dropped Brooke off. Some friends of hers got together to watch a movie last night and coming back, I also was creeping like five kilometers an hour. 
like creeping through the neighborhood. But Shelly, yeah. talking about scary, I've been seeing a lot of TikTok videos recently about work. And I saw an article talking about that 24%, I think we talked a little bit about it, 24% of job seekers get their advice from TikTok career coaches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is really scary because we did see a video with someone in the industry talking about how I put the CEO in their place and I listened to it. It was just the crappiest thing. Like it, she came across as just ignorant, trying to build a case that everyone should work four day work week. And the CEO was basically, well, how are we going to get the work done? But then there was one that became very viral and everyone is talking about it. It's a Gen Z talking about the realities of work, right? And she's trying to figure out now that she's working nine to five, like, how does she get anything done? Because she has to leave for 7.30 and then she gets back at 6, 6.30 and she's so tired. She just makes dinner and then goes to bed. And I'm like, okay, so it is a reality, unfortunately, of a nine to five job. And I get the challenges that Gen Z are dealing with, right? They are dealing mm-hmm. with a different world than the boomers or even Gen X did because the cost of living is so much higher. But also, there are so many advantages that we did not have because we had to work at a physical location every day. Then if we wanted to make extra money or to pay the bills, we had to go work at a convenience store or go work retail. As today, you can make money in so many different ways online. So let me play the video. I know I'm probably just being so dramatic and annoying. But this is my first job, like my first side to pod job after college. And I'm in person and I'm commuting in the city and it takes me fucking forever to get there. There's no way I'm going to be able to afford living in the city right now. So that's off the table. Like fucking duh. If I was able to walk to work and it would it'd be fine, but I'm not. So it literally takes me like I leave here, like I get on the train at 730 and I don't get home till like 615 earlier. And then like, I don't have time to do anything. I don't, I want to shower eat my dinner and go to sleep. I don't have time or energy to cook my dinner either. Like, I don't have energy to work out. Like, that's out the window. Like, I'm so upset. Nothing to do with my job at all, but just, like, the 9 to 5 schedule in general is crazy. Being in the office 9 to 5, like, if it was remote, you get off at 5 and you're home and everything's fine. But, like, I'm not home. It takes me long to get home. And, like, like, people that drive to the office, like, it doesn't, you don't get off at 5. And I know it could be worse. I know I could be working longer, but like, I literally get off. It's pitch black. Like, I don't have energy. How do you have friends? Like, how do you have time to like meet like a guy? I don't know. Like, how do you have time for like dating? Like, I don't have time for anything. And I'm like so stressed out. And I'm also going to have my period. So that's why I'm a little emotional. But like, am I so dramatic? It's fine. Work. So Shelly, what's your thoughts here? Okay. So in the first part listening to her talk, the first thing I think of is, well, then move. And then she addresses it later on, of course, in her video saying, I can't afford to live there. Well, you can, but you can't have the same quality of life that you do commuting back to the suburbs. And I don't care if you live in New York City, or if you live in Kelowna, the same thing exists. And that is, you can't have it all. You, you can't. You can't have the great, wonderful condo that you're living in and you can walk to work. Well, you can, but then you need to compromise where you're working and how much you're making. What struck me was that she admits her first job. 
And it is overwhelming. Change is overwhelming. I thought, God help her if she ever reproduces. Because if you want to see busy, try 24-7. The first 12 months of this helpless little being's life. I don't think there's anything new about what she was saying. No. In fact, it is 12 hours a day in order to work when you factor in the commute. So part of me is like, yeah, you know what? You need to figure this out. And I saw it as nothing more than a rant or maybe even like a cry for help. Like I honest to God can't figure this out. Somebody help me rather than criticize her for being whiny. That's how I felt. Yeah. And I felt the same way. And like, I feel her pain. I think we did not have the same opportunity to share our rant over social media, which is probably a really good thing. It is reality. And I, but I think there's a little bit of a distorted sense of reality from a lot of people growing up. I was watching some different videos and they were asking these girls, like, how much money does a man need to make to be your partner? And they're talking about numbers of like, well, minimum half a million. And I'm like, how much do you think people make? Because the average salary in Canada is less than 50K a year or the median is less than 50K in the US. It's in the low 40s. I just think there's a little bit of distorted reality of what the real world looks like. And I think like everyone else, she's going to have to opt in for a while and, and do the grind. And then she has opportunities to make monies in different ways that doesn't need to be the nine to five. But it's really hard. I feel her pain, but also it is a reality. And if it were a group of girlfriends sitting around, there would be somebody who would say, I understand how you're feeling. I felt that way myself. And here's two or three things that I did to make sure I could fit in, you know, time to go to yoga and date. Well, and the one thing you mentioned it earlier too, I'm like, oh, imagine with three kids doing this. <laughs> you don't know what busy is. You do not know no. what busy is. And I've no. realized since I've had kids, I'm like, people that don't have kids, what do they do with their free time? Because anyone right? that complains that they're busy with no kids and they don't have any time, I'm like, you are mismanaging your time. Because you don't hear that from parents as much. Because I think a lot of them have figured out it's just reality. Like you have so limited time that you take advantage of everything that you have and you're probably more organized more mm -hmm. structured as much as you can be so when she's complaining and i'm like you want to see busy come over to my house yeah, come over we'll exactly i know do you know something i felt bad about serge when we were at hr tech one of my favorite reports came out and i didn't get a chance to really read it and that's recruiter nation the one that employee puts out God bless them. They take the highlights of this report because it's really in depth. And you know, I love that stuff, but they boil it up to what are the aha moments or the snippets or the highlights that we all want to know for things like time to fill. They boiled it up to the average time to fill for companies of all sizes is 47.5 days. This takes into account all jobs. So I do appreciate that. We need to level set that it's all jobs and all sizes of companies. And the other one that I wanted to point out, which was interesting, was the best sources for finding candidates. And what surprised me was that talent acquisition professionals still rank job boards as their most valuable 
sourcing channel. Second to that is internal hires. And the one that sat at the bottom was employee referrals as your best source of candidates. So it feels like there is this bit of shift happening in recognition that source of candidate and employee referrals is not the best source, although it may feel like it's not as much work at the time. You're right. It's not as much work, but I'm not surprised by it. It's still high, like 13%. If you look at job boards being 25%, mm-hmm. which is not a surprise because I went to look back at the report last year and it was very similar. Job boards were ranked as the number one source, which kind of goes into the argument of we want to find people where they go and job seekers still go to job boards. It's been mm-hmm. a fact. It hasn't really slowed down. Obviously, I think this has been a struggle this year with the big job boards, but it hasn't been the issue on job seekers coming to the site. It's just less employers with money to spend. Right. Right. Anything uh, else surprise you on this only, report? Yeah. The only other thing was there's always this debate. Is LinkedIn a social channel? Or is LinkedIn a job board? What's interesting is that this report has made that a really clear definition and line and that it's considered a social channel. That LinkedIn is their primary social channel to find candidates. They are not defining it as a job board. It's a separate category. Yeah, I agree. Because I think in this particular survey, they're talking about primary social channel of fine candidates, similar as if I use Facebook to find candidates or X to find candidates, there's no comparison. I'm surprised 41% is low because I would think like what other social channel that you're really spending a lot of time sourcing and finding candidates from. There's yeah. only LinkedIn. Like, you, I know X and like they tried to, and I've leveraged Facebook to try to find people, but there's nothing that works better than LinkedIn. So, yeah, I get this classification and I get where you're coming from because if we just took it aside and just had it as a job board, it's, it's, it's right up there with Indeed when it comes to traffic and quality of hires and amount of candidates. If you look at all the metrics, LinkedIn does really well as a job board as well. Mm-hmm. Shelly, let's jump into the news. Okay. And I am tired about talking about layoffs in our industry. So I'm going to do this really quick. Okay. So StepStone, for those that don't know, StepStone is a dominant job board in Europe. And they are the owner of AppCast here in North America. So they just announced a layoff of 5% of the workforce, which equals around 100 people. Not surprising, 5% is pretty low. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. We know how job boards are struggling, especially StepStone recently came out that Indeed is the number one job board in Germany, which was a really stronghold for StepStone for a long amount of time. So Not surprising, we are going to see more layoffs in the job board space, even though it is the number one source of where candidates are coming from. Mm -hmm. But the model is shifting and it's really hard out there. So no surprises there, Shelly. Any surprises for you? Pretty straightforward? Yeah, pretty straightforward. We've seen that slow movement of Indeed into Europe. So 5% is nothing. 5% is a rounding error. For a company that size. I know you said you didn't want to talk about layoffs, but there was some news around the banks, like the big banks here in Canada, which is not something we see very often. 
There were several of the big banks, Royal Bank in September, Scotiabank just this month, were announcing reductions. But what was interesting is when the banks were talking about the layoffs and staff reductions and digging underneath as to why they're laying people off, their attitude towards what they believe employees need to do is actually really aligned to what you've talked a lot about, Serge, is you need to keep your skills sharp. And so one of the things they did point to was, you know, the automation in the banking industry. Employees are really encouraged to always sharpen their skills. Taking micro courses was something that they mentioned. Even just taking courses on LinkedIn or the Microsoft offerings, right? Just to keep your skills sharp. I think it's more of a right-sizing than it is the big drama of layoffs. Look at you. You're all corporate. Right-sizing is you've stolen language from from some COO of a major corporation. (laughs) So there's a couple of factors here. All these banks are profitable and they're Mm -hmm. all big. They're probably the biggest employers in Canada outside of the government. And they're laying off even with profits, which is usually it goes against the mold of why companies lay off people. But there's a couple of things I'm seeing is a lot of our Canadian banks are overexposed with the interest rates being hiked up dramatically. Uh, I was reading an article, TD and RBC and Scotiabank, when we look at 2025, there's a big percentage of these mortgages that are coming up for renewals and they expect a huge amount of defaults. Like we do expect some challenges in the banking sector. So in one way, I'm like, are they just preparing for what's coming? Like you said, right-sizing. But also to your point, I think it's highly susceptible to automation and consumer behaviors have changed in the last 20 years. Do you need as many people as you need in the past? So yeah, going back to your point, as far as continuously upskilling, one of the things they mentioned in this article is sometimes a lot cheaper just to lay off people and rehire for the skill set that you need. It's cheaper and faster compared to reskilling your employees. And what they're stating here is we're going to put that onus on employees to upgrade their skills. So if they do want to keep working for this particular bank or any company, yeah, you got to have your skills sharp because it's cheaper and easier for us just to let you go and hire someone that has just those Just to rip skills. and replace. Yeah. And I think this is going to be across the economy. I think the onus on employee training is going away from the employer and really falling on the employee's lap that there are so many different courses, resources available. If you want to grow your career, upskilling is critical mm-hmm. and it's your responsibility. So Shelly, let's jump into the tip of the week. The tip of the week. So I wanted to talk again about interviews And on that same theme, upskill yourself, stop with behavioral descriptive, and help to upskill your hiring managers. Because the the challenge of interviewing is that hiring managers have used the same interview guides, and they've started to add their own subtle little ending to behavioral descriptive questions. Research proves this out, that three quarters of hiring managers add these little phrases to the end of their interview question that de facto tells the candidate how to ace or answer the question. So my tip of the week is this. 
just throw your BDI interview guides out. I think you're better off to go to ChatGPT, <laughs> put in your job description and ask it to generate some questions that will tell you if this person has the skills required that are listed on this job description. And like you're 90% of the way there. That's my tip of the week. I think one of the things that you mentioned there is interesting because hiring managers do put their own spin at the end of the question. And I've seen this so many times and I have been guilty of doing this myself. I think mm-hmm. we all have. I've never been a fan of B-roll descriptive interviews. I think it's ugh, it's yucky on both ends, right? It's, it's a yucky terrible asking experience. questions. Yeah. You're just asking people to make shit up. And mm-hmm. Some do it really well. The ones that do it really well usually get the job. But to your point on ChatGPT, I, I do think it's really important that you leverage tools, but there's got to be some consistency across the board. So creating standard guides that every hiring manager uses, to me, is critical just for that consistency. So if you're going to do it for one role, you need to do it for all the roles or That's everyone right. you're interviewing those roles. So let's jump into their recruiting insights. So I found this really interesting article that talks about employers that are inflating job titles to attract Gen Z. Even though we're seeing a lot of layoffs, it's still extremely tight labor market. Instead of paying more, a lot of companies be like, let's just give them the title they need. And I think there is a lot of risk, not only for the companies, but also for the employee or the job seeker. As you're getting hired and just starting off and you're an analyst, but within six months or you're the senior analyst and you're a director of analytics within a year, that works out fine in startups, in really small companies. But when that job seeker starts looking at other markets, other companies are not evaluating that same experience. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. So you're a director of analytics and you have one and a half year experience of a company that employs seven people. In case someone would hire them at that level, they're not going to be successful. I get how it solves the short-term It gives a win without paying more salary, but it's not good. It's not good for the employer. It's definitely even worse for the job seeker, in my opinion. What's your thoughts here? Do you know, I had never thought about inflating job titles in the attraction part. And I think we've seen it forever with small startup companies where you've got someone who's truly an administrator, but you're going to call them director of corporate services. And you do that so that whoever your customers are have this impression that you're bigger than you really are. Um, And now it's just really flowed through into employers figuring that out about Gen Zs. Again, there's a lot of stereotyping about Gen Z. We have to admit that they will become the largest part of the available workforce at the lowest price currently, right? And so we do need to figure out what are the attraction factors because we know that what they want is work-life balance. We know that what they want is the autonomy and flexibility, even though they haven't earned it. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? We get that about this next generation. So I think job titles are a small part of it. And to inflate it, you're right. I think it it harms more than it helps because that person will move on and 
nobody is going to think that they can do the work of a director level individual. So you're not doing them any favors. No, I don't think you're doing any favors. And I'm not discounting that experience and what they've learned. And there's tons of benefits, maybe going to work for a startup and be at a higher role that you would be at a larger company. It gives you really good experience. But for that job seeker, when they get to that thousand people company and they're given that role, man, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. They won't be able to land it. No, they won't be able to do it. Yeah. I do remember, Serge, there was an article or sorry, a report. It was a news report from earlier this year that was a a division of Tata, T-A-T-A, a huge corporation in, I believe, Asia. They're They're an Asia-based company. Yeah. Yeah. The discussion here is around recruiting from competitors. And so they interviewed one of the directors from Tata to talk about what are the things we need to be careful about if we're going to target talent that is currently working with our competition, which is good that they're trying to school us on ethics when their CHRO was charged with accepting bribes. Anyways, the article did bring up some really interesting information about understanding things like competition sensitive information. So you can bring your skills and knowledge, but you don't need to bring your current employer's playbook. In fact, if you're going to recruit from competitors, it needs to be made clear to the individual that you're recruiting to leave all that stuff behind. Don't bring anything that is sensitive information, even if you wrote it. Even if you authored these documents, you must leave them behind because that's not what we're hiring you for, to bring their secrets. And making sure that when you're onboarding someone, that they understand what they need to keep confidential. I've even asked them to provide us with a copy of their non-compete or non-disclosure agreement so that we are fully aware of what they're going to be held to, even though it's the individual's responsibility and not the company's. So there is some things that we really need to stay on our toes about when we're recruiting from competitors. I agree. There's a couple of things though, that maybe the competitive edge or the competitive side uh, of myself is I've been in situations where competitors have actively tried to recruit a big portion of our staff and it'll make it my life's mission. If you are actively trying to poach our staff, it's on. I will work directly to try to poach your staff. It was interesting because I was reading a book about Steve Jobs and there was a particular time when Apple was a substantial company, but they weren't what they are now. And HP was recruiting directly from them. And they basically sent a letter to the CEO be like, oh, so we're doing this just for you to know. And then there was a lot of going around from one to the other being like, no, we're not actively going to do this. But there is an unwritten rule. If you are going to target my staff, be ready to get targeted. There's a lot of times like as you're growing as a company, sometimes your competition is the easiest way to get the talent that already knows the industry is already capable in the job. And I think there's value in that. And the other side of it as well, 
there is a tendency for people that work for your competitors to apply for your jobs because they feel exactly the same way. It's going to be an easy lift. I already know the industry. I already know how this works. So I'm going to apply for the competitor. But to your point earlier, as a company, you have to protect yourself. So when it comes to non-competition, which we all know you can't really enforce in Canada or the US, but when it comes to non-solicitation, that one you have to pay close attention to it. So basically, I think you should recruit from your competitors, but if you make it really obvious and you're trying to get 15, 20, 100 people, just get ready for pushback and get ready to get attack on your end because I have done it and it was the most fun ever. <laughs> you took much pleasure in that revenge, oh, did you? So much pleasure. So yes. much pleasure. <laughs> so be wary, but you should still do it. Our last thing here, do you know what's interesting, Serge, is as you and I were just discussing slash debating the inflation of job titles, I think what ties into nicely about this is the latest study on the truth about lying to get a job. And there was some really interesting stuff that I've not seen reported before. Inflating your job title is certainly one of the most common things that people lie about. But what was interesting was who lies and what do they lie about? And this was a pretty substantial study. It was like 1900 US-based workers who asked questions about job applicant behavior. What I found most intriguing was the higher the education, the higher the likelihood that they weren't telling the truth. Somebody who's got a master's or a doctorate degree reported the highest incident of lying on their resume. 58% of them said frequently lie, 27% said have lied once or twice for a total of 85% <laughs> compared to those without a college degree, 29% said they frequently lie and 42% said once or twice. It turns out that the higher the education, the more you bullshit. What do you think that is? It's a little bit of a superiority complex, I believe, that it's almost challenging you to prove me wrong. Well, which is an interesting thought because you would think that most people that have masters or PhDs, they're going to go work in roles that there's going to be a more extensive background check and actually verification of these qualifications, right? I think it's fair to make that assumption with most companies, but I, I love this, actually. I thought it was fantastic. 1,900 US-based workers, and they found that 7 out of 10 people admitted to lying on their resumes, while 37% do it frequently. Like The most common lies on resumes, including embellishing responsibilities, 52%. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised by that one, because that's the easiest one to get away with, right? It's, it's really hard to verify that in a background check. Job title is an interesting one because that is verified with most background check and the number of people manage that one is harder to verify as well. So there's some consistency here, but Shelly, let's not lie to ourselves. We're all lying. Job seekers are lying, exaggerating, embellishing, but is it worse 
than what employers are doing because employers lie a whole lot. Go through a job ad, and I can tell you the majority of it is great culture, great benefits. I'm like, okay, is it really great? Because if you dig into it, it's not great benefits, not even to the industry standard. Unfortunately, not a lot of companies get called out for lying. For employers, we need to check ourselves before we call out job seeker for a slight exaggeration. And I know every recruiter here that's listening, if you're going to your job ads or your career page, guess what? You're fucking lying. <laughs> Am I wrong, Shelly? So here's the thing. If you want to be biblical in the sense that if you're not telling the truth, you're lying versus it's a bend, it's a stretch, it's a generalization to say that you have industry leading. It's spin, right? To try and attract individuals because they're not going to know. Or how would they know? If well, as they say, we- it's aspirational, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is the other exactly. word for exaggerating. But exactly. okay. Is it, is it lying? Eh. Fair yes. enough, Shelly. Fair enough. But I think there's plenty of examples of hiring managers, people interviewing of straight out lying, like your culture. Let's talk about and be like, oh, it's a great culture. Then you dig in deeper. It's actually the most toxic culture you've ever heard. And the hiring manager knows that, but he knows that he can't say that because if he says it, the person wouldn't want to work there. So is that lying? I think that's pretty close to lying. They're only speaking for what they believe the culture is. They know it. Yeah. Like you know if you have a toxic culture or not. So yeah. anyways, this is nothing that will ever change in the near future. But when it comes to verification of what you've done and how blockchain is going to be a part of that. So certifications, job titles, things that are easily verifiable, it's going to be really hard to lie in the future. So if you're lying right now, you should probably line up and just make sure that you have some accuracy. Yeah. A little bit of embellishing. Yeah. <laughs> Employers are doing it, like you just said, so why not? Yeah. Yes. If you're in the habit of lying, you may want to see a priest. (laughs) Is that what you do? (laughs) Confess and change your ways. So, Shelly, another week of the Recruitment Flex. Anything exciting going on? We don't have any events for a little while, actually. No, other than Parker's coming home for Christmas. Oh, Oh, fantastic. (laughs) And I'll be recording from Florida next week. So I'll be in the sun while you're dealing with the cold here. So looking forward to it. All right, Shelly, have a great week. Thank you for all our listeners. We really appreciate you. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rec.com. TXT.com. Mention the recruitment flex and get 10% off annual plans. 
What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.